We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Eurostep Podcast Network. This is a crossover episode, as we've been doing throughout the playoffs to, well, celebrate so far the books' performances. So here for this Eurostep winning six crossover, there's me, Adam McGee. Joining me is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. And Mr. Ty Windish, who's, who's not leading this thing off, which has thrown me off immediately. He sprung it on me before we started. I host a lot of the time, but when Ty is there... I'm used to I can put my feet up. So how are you, Ty? I'm good. Relaxed. I'm good. Yeah, relaxed. Well, it's, you know, I was inspired. Giannis was talking after the game about it. it was hard to give up the ball, but it's worth it. And I said, you know what? It's good to give up the ball sometimes. So we're, we're letting other people run with the ball. This is a, a democratic podcast. Oh, I see a prop. I saw a prop for a quick second there. Jordan might have brought a prop to the podcast. You know, this is the grade A audio content that everyone needs. Uh, Did you hear yeah. it? Did you hear it? Uh, uh, you want to make a sound from it? I mean... Yeah, I'm putting, I'm putting it up to the microphone. That is the sound of a broom, people. Yeah, that's that's worth a Barconi right there. That is we the are... sound of a sweet Peabody. I, I mean, are you listening, people? Let's go. <laughs> We are here, of course, to talk about the books. 120-103, Game 4 win over the Miami Heat. Their 4-0 series win over the Miami Heat. Revenge is pretty sweet, guys, right? Yeah, it's a dish best served cold, but unfortunately it's warm in Miami and pretty warm in, in Wisconsin today, too. But uh, 
it feels good, man. And I, I like that the Bucks as an org are leaning into it. I don't know if you guys saw the tweet they put out with all the tweets from the Heat fans as they got just progressively more and more downtrodden as this thing went on. It was beautiful content. Giannis says on TNT that the Bucks didn't want to play with their food, which is pretty disrespectful. He he has no idea how disrespectful that is. No, yeah, absolutely not. That's he doesn't mean it like that, and I didn't take it like that when, it, when I first saw it. And everyone seems to have decided oh, of that was disrespectful. Of course, yeah. but of course, who cares about respecting the Heat? They just yeah. got swept, so yeah, it's not a big deal. But yeah, you're right. That's definitely that's the narrative. That is the narrative coming out of this. Well, clearly Giannis had no idea that that was something that would be taken up that way. And who can complain? The, the Heat were a little more than the Bucks do, it turned out. So this game, little about as much of a roller coaster as we've had in this series. Okay, game one was close, and there was some back and forth elements. In this game, though, the Bucks did something they hadn't done throughout the whole series state, which was they allowed the Heat to score in the first half, and as a result they found themselves behind. How were you feeling at that point? Because obviously what's most impressive and will probably dominate a lot of what we talk about is the way in which they won this. They came from behind and yet they still like put their foot down on Miami's necks. So around halftime, how were you feeling, Ty? Not terrible. I didn't think it was a guaranteed Bucks win, but I did favor them uh, for the rest of the game. And really it came down to, I think I tweeted at halftime, something like, Giannis and Chris, I think, had scored 11 combined points on three made field goals across the first two quarters, and non-Bryn 4 Bucks were, like, shooting something awful from three, like three for some – three for a double-digit number or two for they a double-digit number. They might have been just Portis. I think, it, I think, I think Middleton might have made one, but maybe not. It was bad. Like, nobody yeah. except Forbes was making threes. Bryn Forbes, I'm sure we'll get there, but a terrific – all-around game again. I mean, the guy has just played as well as you could imagine. He outscores Jimmy Butler in this series, which just goes to show you you have to take advantage of when role players are on, but you can't rely on them. But I, I didn't I didn't feel awful about the game. It was just one of those where it's like, okay, the Heat are going to win if the Bucks continue to not be able to make any threes and Chris and Giannis stay this quiet. But I think if one of those things changes, Milwaukee wins the game. And it turns out both of them changed. The Bucks start hitting their threes in the second half. And Chris and Giannis both came on in a big way. So it was nice that I guess I'm maybe I'm getting overconfident or just more confident in the Bucks because usually I didn't trust them to come from behind and play well to end the game. But this time it really did feel like a little bit of three-point shooting variance and those two guys stepping up is going to be the difference. And that's essentially what happened. I'd, I'd call it appropriately confident. Right yeah, now. I think so. I think so. Jordan, yeah. what about you? I would agree. I'm... I'm Probably was a little bit more skittish than Ty, but just because it, you're looking at, like, Giannis, Drew, and Chris, and each one of them obviously had their struggles, but it was also like, okay, is foul trouble going to bother Giannis? Foul tro- trouble going to bo- bother Brooke? And you're kind of just like, okay, who's really going to, like, you know, F- Forbes did the work to get the Bucks, you know, within seven and a half time. It was all about, like, we've seen them try to come back and try and, to, you know, stages come back and then it falls short or they break through and then are, you know, have trouble sustaining it. That's always kind of been, like, the M.O., especially under Bud, generally. You know, um, so when you're just kind of, like, scoping out, like, okay, how do they kind of, like, crack the code? What is 
what's going to beat the heat zone defense, all that little stuff. And obviously hitting shots is <laughs> the biggest rule of all. Like, the, like you said, Ty, like the variance of it all uh, proved to be, you know, especially in that second half. But it was just a matter of like how we're all each one of Chris, Giannis, and Drew, I said that in a different order than I usually do, but <laughs> how are they all going to kind of like come to the game and kind of start forcing the issue a little bit rather than reacting to the heat? And I mean, we all saw it. I think Drew was more anonymous than the other two, but he's still, you know, look at his stat line. He's having four steals, nine assists. Like it was still, he was comfortably in his, in whatever way you want to describe his game that he was making a difference and it all just, you know, started going up the, the uh, turning the right direction for the Bucks over the second half. I, be- I believe, I mean, I, I actually put a bet on the Bucks at halftime. Uh, I had the misfortune of parlaying it with Manchester City to win the Champions League, which as I look to my left right now is not going so great. <laughs> um, but one of the, I think you've both covered it very nicely in that, you know, are Giannis and Chris going to have as bad a second half as the first half? It just seemed logically no. Um, is there a chance that the Bucks will get a little bit hotter with their shooting? Yes, it seemed like that would be the case. Both of those things happened. Also, if you look at the Heat side, it's like what got them to that point? What got them to uh, a seven-point lead, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was like 11 Trevor Ariza points really it was, early on. It was our fault. That's what no, I got wasn't. from it. I th- yeah, I think it was. I no, think he. I think we he goaded them into going podcasts. to Trevor Ariza, right? And that's a win. Oh no, I think I'm saying just Ariza playing well is because he listened. I, I, he I see well? your point. He, he had, played compared to the rest 11, of the series. He had 11 first quarter points. Uh, how many points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks did he have in the rest of the game? This is zero. It's a zero. Yeah, the Tony <laughs> Snell, the Tony Snell game. Also, the Trevor Ariza games two and three games, but it's point taken at him. So Ariza's fight died out very, very quickly, and it was really the thing for the Heat too. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of resistance there to break once the books made. It wasn't even like this overwhelming run to start the third quarter. It was just a bit of a run, and then the Heat couldn't score. The books set up their defense, which is obviously key. Maybe just a little bit complacent. Maybe it was the early game, but look, it made it more interesting than it has been, and maybe not the worst thing for the books to get this kind of test, have to come out and really show something facing adversity in game. Um, because he haven't managed to give them too many looks at adversity in this series. So really, really positive overall. Ty, what's the, what's the big takeaway for you? What do you want to go to first? I think before we get to some individual players, which I think there's a lot to talk about, and I do want to get to the the starting lineup decision and and looking forward. I think there's a a real conversation there. But I think, aside from just like gloating and and loving the way this went, I do think this was the perfect way to win game four. I think more satisfying and better for the Bucs than if it's the same as two and three, where they just carry through all the way and shoot really well and just demolish the heat. That would have been fun. I think this is even better, though, like, Seeing this team that has been too soft in years past face some somewhat real adversity. I mean, I think Miami played pretty well. Some role players hit shots. I mean, even when they go on the run in the third quarter, the Bucks, Kendrick Nunn kind of comes back by himself and gets hit close again. Miami kind of has the momentum heading into the fourth quarter, and the Bucks come out and win easily. And I just think it's a better way to win, and I think it's better for this playoff run for this team to get pushed a little bit more. It wasn't 
You know, Miami was not capable of throwing haymakers in this series, as, as we've talked about, but this was the last best punch that they could muster. And I honestly expected them after game two to win one of these two games, even though I thought they were outmatched. It's just like, it's hard to sweep a team, man. It's especially hard to sweep the Miami Heat with the home court advantage they have. And the Bucks were just, they were down at halftime. The Heat were just hitting some good shots. And I think the Bucks were just not playing well. And I thought it was really good to see Milwaukee come out and just power through and win anyway. I mean, this was a bad shooting variance for the Bucks. I think they ended up shooting like 31% from three. Everybody except Forbes was awful. Miami shot around 33, so they were slightly better, but also bad. But it's just nice to see games like this one where it's ugly. You're not leading the whole way. You don't need, in quotes, need this game. I mean, no one's ever won a series down 0-3. So, you know, it would have been easy, I think, for a, a prior Bucks team to kind of let go of the rope in the third quarter and, and let this thing come back to Milwaukee. I love the fact that they just closed it out. So I think that was probably my, my biggest and favorite takeaway. Also, particularly on the night after the Nets drop a game, you know, yeah. if yeah. if you need some added motivation, get this thing wrapped up. Well, the Nets are in a series now. It may just be a five-game series, but right now they're in a series that they're going to have to work their way through to win, and the books are, you know, putting their feet up. Getting ready already, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Like, it's just that's the kind of thing that even in positive scenarios we haven't had with the books because when they've raced through a series, there's always been an opponent who's raced through a series waiting for them. So it's going to be something new. And I think something that we can kind of draw some encouragement from is they had this situation a week ago, you know, mm-hmm. and that worked out pretty nicely for them overall. Um, it certainly does no harm to get Giannis some time off. Uh, really everyone just generally, particularly with Dante going down too. you know, yeah. any extra time you can buy any extra recovery time. That's a, that's a great point. It's a big, big win. So that added some some nice flavor to it. I mean, for me, I'm just starting to look at this team in terms of their mental approach and, you know, their attitude in a completely different way, in a way that's surprising me. Even as someone who I would say was more optimistic than most coming into the postseason, there were things I thought were this book's team strengths and things that I didn't. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't concerned just about their kind of their mentality. Now they just look like killers. Like they're they dogs. Are so so ruthless. They are dogs. I said I said that in the the post game that was put tree, wasn't it? Yeah. Um post game tree without even knowing PJ Tucker did that. So it's just it's that apparent to everyone that the books are dogs now. But that's that's such a big deal again. Like maybe it's not enough to get them through the second round or get them through the conference finals or win the finals if they get there. But it adds an entirely different dynamic to them every time. Having that belief, but also having that ability. Stuff even like Middleton laughing at Goran Dragic. Like, uh, yeah. Biggest moment of the game. That's biggest not, moment of the game. It defined, it defined the whole series. That's not uh, uh, our reserved Chris Middleton, usually. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. he's, the most emotional that you see him is when he's, you know, uh, taking issue to a foul call or mm-hmm. something like that. It's not taunting or, or not taunting but like you'd be like yeah, I think he throws a finger wave there I think there's a little <laughs> taunting there <laughs> but yeah that was that that pretty much said it all especially today too yeah I think and just sorry I just talked about Middleton a little bit I thought his third quarter is what won the game basically and I think that that happened during the third quarter I think that was part of it I think after that happened that's really when I was like oh they're not losing Chris is 
Chris is going to tear some hearts out after this. That third quarter, Middleton four for eight from the field, two for three from deep, two for two from free throw, two rebounds, 12 points in his eight and a half minutes. They won, they win his minutes by 16 in that third quarter. That's where they start to blow the game open and obviously take it away in the fourth. But I just thought, you know, the question was that I had at halftime. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are he and Giannis going to show up? So even if that's the thing about this game, they would have won even. I mean, they, it was a bad shooting game, but even if they continued to make no shots in, in the rest of the last two quarters, they still win if Chris and Giannis show up, and and they need to know that. And that's exactly what happened. And you could see the business like demeanor of those two, and they were like, "We're just going to go out and do it." I mean, Giannis only scores three in the third quarter, but he puts up six assists himself in that quarter, leading to his triple double. Like. Those two were surgical, and, and they just took the game away. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Something we brought up after game one too is that, you know, he's he looks different. And I'm not this hasn't been a great Yana series at all, but it's just like, okay, what have I got to do to win? And he's he's really embracing that and it's working. They're winning every game because if Giannis understands that, and look, there are still moments, there are still decisions he was making, particularly in the first half, where you're like, no, you just got to be a little bit smarter here. You got to be better. It's not, it's not even difficult to make these reads. It's just clearly you're trying so hard to, you know, click in and find your own gear. Mm-hmm. Now, going forward, and particularly the second round, and with some of the defensive matchups he's going to have, he may find it a lot easier to get going. I think it's important that he keeps the energy of this series with him, though that at moments where if he goes cold or anything like this, this should be a lesson for him, not just for the next round or the, this kind of playoff campaign, just the rest of his career. It's like, the, the problem can be, it, I mean, this is what LeBron has been so good at over the years. It's just, you know, there's a baseline. You're good. You're really going to affect the game in such a positive way. And I guess the key difference is the books now have enough other guys that you can do that and it can work and you get away with it. And, they weren't there a year ago. 
Like Drew is a big difference on a on a game where he, even tonight where he wasn't that great or today for those of you watching in America. Um, but you've got Brooke playing the way Brooke played. You've got Bryn Forbes. Like right now, Bryn Forbes is as much of the missing piece as Drew. Yes, that sounds insane. Oh, yeah. The books just haven't had that kind of bench guy. They, they haven't, haven't had, had that it. kind of shooter at all. I mean, not yeah. many teams have that kind of shooter. True. Yeah. But uh, that's the thing. I think to me, the series for Giannis, and it's you know, it's not going to look great on paper. You know, there's it kind of came in fits in, in, or in ways where you're just kind of like, okay, now he, he breaks through in game two after game one kind of just being all over the place. Game three was a little bit more quieter, but there's still stuff that you can rely on. And today, you know, the same thing where it's like it starts kind of slow, but then he starts to figure it out. Things definitely open up more for the Bucks in general, hitting shots, but just playing with more they, they weren't processing everything. They were kind of going, which is the biggest difference for me in the second half. And Giannis is as big of a part of that when, you know, you kind of look at it like, okay, like he's obviously not scoring, but then he's got 11 assists or how many or at one point. But, like, it obviously got to uh, 15. 15, yeah. And that's Drew's yeah. total. Yeah. A couple games so, ago. But, yeah, like, that's the thing for me is that, there's always been the problem that he has had to solve the last two years, where whether it's the wall or whether it's, you know, trying to find the shooting, all this stuff. And now we're kind of seeing what happens when he doesn't score to his best capabilities. And now he's adding more passing, which has obviously been a strong suit all, all year long. So mm. yeah, like he, it kind of just, it kind of came for me where it's like Bryn gives the, the Bucks a big punch late in the first half. Then Chris kind of carried the baton from there, and then Giannis followed suit, and just that's where, you know, the game was won. Yeah, with Lopez peppering in points all throughout there. Yeah. And for Giannis, it's also about what we talked about right at the beginning of the series in game one, where he he hurt himself a little late, and he was out there and not able to do a whole lot. But he's got to understand that just him being there is a threat. Like, he's got to understand everything about him that makes him a threat. And just him being there, just him being involved in the game, if he can kind of embrace that in the right way mentally and know when not to overdo and not to try too hard, he's going to help his teammates just by being there. That's the caliber of player he is. That's the status he has. That's the respect he commands around the league. I have, and oh, he's done that in this series. Go on. Just a couple of quick Giannis stats I think illustrate the points that you guys are making so well. Never close to falling out in this series. Four in game one, two in game two, three in game three, four in the closeout game, despite three in the first half. He only picks up one in the second half, which is big. After game one, where the free throws were such a problem and he catches the 10-second violation, no more of the 10-second violations, shot 75% on free throws from game two through four. Like Some of the things that have just been issues in the past just weren't issues anymore, and that is just huge for, for Giannis. And I think... Uh, on TNT, the broadcast after the game, he talked to the guys and Shaq asked, I thought it was a shockingly good question from that crew. And I thought it was especially good coming from Shaq. I think Shaq can really relate to the, the thing. And something we've talked about a bit, it's basically like, how hard was it to give up the ball? You know, cause it's, it's so easy to sit here on a podcast and say, Giannis is so good as a role. I mean, 
I know his ball handling skills and pick and roll or stats and pick and roll are awesome, but like he should be so good as a roller. If he's rolling with Chris and Drew, that should they don't should that fifty times a game. But it's harder to look at Giannis, the back to back reigning MVP, and say, Hey, give up the ball a little bit more. But he said it's been hard, but you know, seeing those guys find me finding me in rhythm, getting me going in the second half, like it's it's basically he said like it worked, like it's been working. And I think getting Drew is such a big part of convincing Giannis to take that kind of a role and play more like that because it's a lot easier to justify giving up touches to that guy than it was the other point guard options in the past is all I'll say. Yeah. I've got one Giannis thing too, right? The count. I've got one more later too, but yeah. The count. Oh, I think yeah. we need to thank yeah. Miami yeah. fans for the count. Um, that didn't yeah, happen you- in game one. I mean, the violation happened in game one, mm-hmm. but Obviously, it was a books game, so you don't hear that to game three. But the violation, maybe it's better to put it on the officials. That triggered something for him, yeah. and it has continued then hearing road fans do that. He's 15 to 20 since game yeah, one. 75%. Well, so, terrible free throw shooting game one, follows it up really nicely. I, I actually think it's helping him to focus. I was yeah. trying to keep in kind of in sync with the obviously fast count, He's waiting to 11, 12 as the fans are going fast, and that's his spot, and it's perfect. And it's actually like they're giving him a rhythm. He doesn't have to worry about an internal metronome. The nope. fans are doing it for him, which is kind of hilarious and fascinating. And I've never, I just need to, I have never seen anything as desperate and pathetic as the Miami Heat account tweeting. Keep counting, Heat Nation, keep counting. That is, that is an all-time low. A once-proud franchise reduced to rubble by Giannis Antetokounmpo's, you know, 11-second free throws. I love when he got sassy and would, like, kick the ball back to the official when they tried to toss it to him early. Like, no, you're going to respect my routine. I'm not drawing this 10-second violation because you threw it early. My one last Giannis thing. I don't think we, the collective we and we at the Euroset Podcast Network, have probably made enough of a big deal how great he was at all ball on ball defense all series. Like this was oh, something yeah. where it was always the thing was like we got to keep him off ball. He's such a good off ball defender, and he is. One of my favorite possessions from this game is after I think a Heat offensive rebound or something. The the Bucks get reset quickly, and Brook Lopez is on Goran Dragic, and Dragic first past him, obviously. And he's getting ready to like make go for a layup, and then Giannis is there, and he just like stops and is like, All right, "I'm passing this out. This is a no go for me." Um, so he's obviously Giannis is a terrific off ball defender, but the question was always like, "Is it worth almost never having him on ball? Like, what are you giving up?" And I think what you're giving up was on display. I mean, Jimmy Butler, I have the stats here, but the Heat were outscored by 21.5 points per game in his minutes. He shoots under 30% from the field and from three. Basically, it was a non-factor. He had a triple-double. It wasn't a, a very good-feeling triple-double for Jimmy Butler here in game four, but was never an offensive weapon, was never – I don't know if he ever scored more than four consecutive points at any point for the team in the series. Like, he was neutralized. And I think we've talked about so many things the Bucks did well and how they were able to neutralize Miami in all these different ways, but – if you're starting from a place of the other team's best player, they get blitzed and he can't score, you're probably going to win the series no matter what else is happening. So I do think that's worth a little bit more conversation. And I think it's a very good thing going forward that Giannis starts this playoff run by just 
absolutely taking Jimmy Butler out of the equation four games in a row. I mean, I hope someone in Miami has has a key because uh, I'm concerned if Jimmy Butler stays locked in, what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Needs to be unlocked. Uh, Jimmy Butler, of course, outscored by Bryn Forbes in this series, which is a pretty important wrinkle. It seems like <laughs> if you told me that before game one, I said, yeah, the books are going to sweep the heat. <laughs> yeah. um, as, as for your point, though, too, and it is something that we'll probably talk about over the week ahead, it's really interesting even in the kind of in the way that we're now talking about the prospect of playing the Nets without Dante and talking about, okay, Giannis is going to have to be on Durant. Yeah. Fine. Maybe maybe that's that's for the best. Looking at what he did to Jimmy Butler, I mean, Kevin Durant is not Jimmy Butler, but if you can have an equivalent effect, that could be the difference. And maybe, maybe that will turn out better in that series. It cuts out any chance of kind of trying to get cute seeing can we get away with this it's like no you're playing against Kyrie Irving James Harden Kevin Durant you're gonna have best guys on best guys and that's that and Giannis really showed a lot in this series that he can do that that he enjoys that and that's gonna be a lot of fun so so that's very exciting let's let's go to Brooke uh Brooke has been absolutely phenomenal just an incredible series that also I think is giving a look at I I don't know if even the Nets can just blow him off the court. Like, there's something here in one, just how confident he is, how he's playing. I think most of the bad stuff, to be honest, came from being put in bad positions. I'm thinking the turnover in the first half where Middleton waited for a trailing Brook to come run past him, then fed him a really low pass. It's like, the guy's like seven foot one on the move. Like, let's let's not bounce one in at his knees. Um, But just the way that Brooke carried the books, even in the first half, just having something going. But more than that, it's like we know how great he is. He's one of the best box-out artists in the NBA. And yet, here he goes. He's grabbing rebounds as well. Like, he's he's saying, I know how big I am. I know particularly in this series, possibly in the next one too, um, that I have this advantage. I'm going to do it to, to fuel how we play. So where's where's everyone at on Brooke Lopez and his impact in this series and what could continue to be a kind of similar impact going forward. I think it's hard to kind of forecast where his role could be in, in against a Nets or in a Nets series, just because it's good. The problems that the Nets offer are going to be totally different than what we saw from the heat, obviously, but from how the Bucks played and just how integral to everything Brooke was, Especially defensively, especially, you know, locking down Bam. I know he had 20 today on 17 shots, but it was still like, he's working hard for every one of those shots. And it was stuff that he wasn't necessarily hitting in games one through three, but it's, it all spoke to just how massive Brooke was defensively and just kind of throwing the heat off the rhythm and especially the stuff that, like the areas that they, sneakily won in, you know, the series last year. And that was completely a non-factor this time around. And, I mean, obviously, Dante's injury kind of affects everything in terms of rotation, obviously the backcourt and stuff like that. But, like, how we'll – I'm more interested in how we could see stuff translate for Brooke in a net series. But I don't think – 
I don't think a lot of what we could say is unsustainable just because we have a history of Brick playing up to or beyond his capabilities in the playoffs. This is the third year in a row. I know last year kind of got lost in the shuffle just because of how bad it ended. But Brooke was still a massive contributor to kind of trying to hold things together as, you know, the both leads on fire. But, um, yeah, I, I think not enough can be said about just how they, how well the Bucks played with him on the floor. And that was such a big kind of like, we know how it looked last year when, you know, they're executing as their drop scheme and all that stuff. And the Bucks didn't really, outside of game one, they didn't bat an eye with him on the floor. Do you want to know how nice Brooke Lopez played in this series? Guy guessing, shot. Go on. Literally 69 point repeating yeah. 69% from two. Four for six game one, two for two game two, six for 10 game three, 11 for 15 game four. And game four, the first time in the series, he didn't even attempt a three pointer. My new suspicion with why Brooke Lopez looks so different in the postseason than in the regular season, I think it's not that he or the Bucks don't want him to use some of that post move and, and stuff down low all year. I think it's both parties, maybe mutually, or like, we don't want you to, to wear out your body by doing this all year long. We can have you take six threes, and who cares if you make two or four in the regular season. It doesn't matter as much. But when when the game is on the line and everything – that's when it's like, okay, you know what? Just go ahead and mash. Like, let's let's win a series by winning on the margins. Go grab a bunch of offensive rebounds. Like, stay down there, bully guys. Because we know it's harder work. It's harder work to work down there. That's why Embiid, for all the, the jokes and everything, it's so hard to get through a season playing in the post that much. I don't think it's a coincidence he finally was more healthy this year when his jumper came around. And he was not mm. – he didn't have to play bully ball for all of his minutes when he was scoring. So – Brooke Lopez, 23 for 33 from two. I think that's where you look at the net series and go, if you can survive him on defense, whether it's on Bruce Brown, on Claxton, whoever, without just getting picked apart, and the Bucks shown in this series that they found ways to make up for even dropping against some dangerous shooters. They found ways to, to counter that. He can do a lot of work on the other end. And I love that he stopped, like, the, the three-point shooting was less in the postseason all around than it was in the regular season, but he attempted seven total in games one and two, one total in games three and four. Like, that's the Brook Lopez I think I want to see in the playoffs. Let him play to his real strength, which has always been around the paint on both ends. I think it's really exciting. I think even if he can't play as many total minutes, which we'll see now, uh, with Dante out, I think you want to find ways to get your best players out there as much as possible, but you can see the kind of impact he's having, and I think Adam used the word sustainable. You know, Brooke Lopez making a lot of threes in a game is never going to be sustainable as, as much as he's worked on that, but Brooke Lopez bullying little guys, I think that's pretty sustainable. His percentage chance of making some threes probably increases too. He was one for eight this series. He had a terrible series from three, even for his standards. But that's going to carry over in terms of the way people view him. So he's become a three-point shooter, right, in recent years. We know the ups and downs of that percentage-wise hasn't worked. But still, that's teams see him out there, and they're like, he's going to shoot. And they're either thinking, we'll close him or we'll let him shoot. But they're thinking about him as a three-point shooter. If he's beating you up on the inside, and all of a sudden he decides to trail, and he gets one in his favorite spot, I just don't think you're going to have the same level of reaction that you're necessarily going to have when he's parked out there all the time. So it probably creates just a little bit more of an opportunity for him to catch fire and have a game where he does end up taking and making a few 
although it's never going to be what you're going to want as your go-to. I mean, the other thing for me with Brooke in this series, and it's going to be even bigger going forward because you talk about him surviving on like a on a Brown or Claxton, they're going to hunt mismatches. They're going to force him into switches. James Harden is going to want him out around the perimeter. And I'm not saying, oh, that's the best thing for the books, but if that happens, fine. When he's on the floor, there's a risk of that happening. What he's got to do is accept that it's happening, go out there. He's much better going yeah, out there yeah, yeah, yeah. than anyone ever believes. And we yeah. talked about this a couple of episodes ago. It's because he's absolutely massive. You know, he's, he's not the fastest, but he will move his feet. He will close space. He's got really long wingspan. So if that's the way someone wants to go, and, you know, I'd want to see kind of hard and drain a few in a row over him before I'd be completely panicked about that. Mm-hmm. Because I do think just his size and his presence can cause problems. And we've seen it cause problems. So that's something that if they're going to have him on the floor, and as you mentioned with Dante out, there's every reason to maximize the minutes your best players are out there. Got to trust in that. There can't be panic, and there shouldn't be from Bucks fans either. It's like, oh, he's been, he's caught up in a mismatch. He's now got Kyrie or Harden or Durant on him. That's fine. I think he'll actually do a better job defending most of those shots than most people would expect. It won't look pretty. Everyone's heart will be in their mouth, but it's the end result of that that actually matters. I'm not convinced that that's the way you beat the books. You might you might have a better chance beating the books if he's afraid of that, and the books are afraid of that, and he gets hooked too much, because then you mightn't have the offense you need. And again, there's a chance that what Rook did to the Heat in just exploiting the lack of size there there's no real reason why the same opportunity isn't going to be there for him. And if it isn't there for him, that means like the Nets are playing DeAndre Jordan 35 minutes and that's a win-win. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's something fun that I'm sure we will visit very soon. Bryn Forbes. Got to talk about Bryn Forbes. Jordan, you tweeted it out. Is, was this the fourth most triples made by a book in a playoff game? Fourth, fifth, something like uh, that? Second most technically, but it... Ray Allen and Chris hit seven as well in past playoff games. Okay. I I think, didn't we have this conversation in game one that he wasn't going to better his game one? <laughs> oh, and he did it. No, I think I said Duncan. I wouldn't, I said that. Maybe. I, I, I feel like, I feel like the conversation came with Brian at some point, but if, if it didn't, I know if you had asked me in game one, was he going to have another game of the series where he had more than his six triples? that he had on that occasion, I would have said, eh, probably not, you know. I'd, t- I'd take a five uh, Bay Trees game pretty happily and move on. So to get a seven, that that was a big deal. Talking about sustainability, um, this this feels very real. Well, and maybe th- this is just a byproduct of you get to the playoffs and you're playing Giannis and Drew and Chris, and all of a sudden, yeah... Bryn might be a great shooter, but it's, you know, when you've got Brooke out there and he's he's working inside and then you've got those other four guys, it's it's pick your poison. There's there's no real way of winning in terms of defending that for opponents. Yeah, I mean, like we said before, we haven't seen outside of, I mean, Brock doesn't even count just because he was, you know, hurt the last playoff run that he was in Milwaukee with, and when you're kind of, I think today was kind of like the ill, like very much like the illustration of like how. Granted, again, just a simple fact of seeing shots fall equals better play for the Bucks. But 
I think Forbes in particular, where we saw it in game two and just, you know, the, they shoot the lights out and he comes on the floor hitting these ridiculous shots and just, it was one of those days where everything was falling through and you kind of chalk it up to this performance. But like game three was kind of a similar way where it wasn't pretty. I mean, honestly, outside of game two, the offense was not like stellar, you know, consistently. They had to kind of solve their problems and solve or just see shots fall down and all that stuff. But Forbes, how we like have seen in the past with the Bucks, where it's kind of like, um, what would you say? How would you describe like Bucks offense? Like kind of like the, what is it? Egalitarian, right? Mm-hmm. That's how it would be where everybody kind of gets their opportunities. Everybody, you know, touches the ball, all that stuff rather than, they're riding Brim just to get something going. They need some kind of spark. And that obviously leads into the halftime, you know, seven-point deficit, whatever it was. And then it just felt like this kind of relief off their shoulders where everybody kind of falls in line with where the Bucks left off at the end of the first half. And it just kind of – I mean, the fact that the Heat were, you know, still doing this pressure and just kind of <laughs> – not just forgetting, but just didn't have like effort to close out on Bryn when he's clearly wide open and he has really perfected that like kind of sidestep little move to kind of free of defenders aggressively closing out on him. Like, I mean, you said it before. He's as, he was as much of a difference maker in this series than Drew Holiday was, than Brooke Lopez was, than Chris was a much improved Chris performance. Like that. It, you don't want to rely on a role, role player like Ty said, but like that could be that that could be the difference in going to the Eastern Conference Finals or going to the NBA Finals like the the Heat showed last year, and just wiping the floor with a team like the Heat where you know they just <laughs> it was not their series at all whatsoever. Yeah, I think the thing about Forbes is it's funny because one of the major not a major but one of the criticisms is like. He shoots too much, right? Like he's he's just a, a trigger. He just shoots, and he's, it's is he a black hole or whatever? The thing about it is like you can't make seven triples unless you're taking. I mean, seven is the bare minimum, obviously, but realistically, like ten or so. I'm just looking now. There is one chill. thing with that though, right? And just you, on you that need point, to do it. yeah, you need yeah. to do it. But I think one of the criticisms of Forbes has been he takes too many twos, and he yeah. hasn't been doing that. Like I mean, yeah. he's no. seven to fifteen from the field today. 7 to 14 from 3. <laughs> if you're going to take a lot of shots and you shoot as well as he does, take them from behind the arc. Like, I, I think that's a big difference to a lot of what he did throughout the season. Yeah, and I just think, like, you know, it's to the Bucks not having, quote-unquote, real shooters in the past, which is something I've, I've said before, and I just think it's because, like, they never had anyone who would get this hot and just keep shooting. George Hill never attempted seven threes as a Buck. Malcolm Brogdon attempted eight once, seven three times, and that's the most. Like, in this series, Bryn Forbes 0 for 3 in game 1, then he attempts 9, 7, and 14, and he's hot in all three games. And I just think it's it's a different level of, like, a fear that you instill in the defense and just, uh, like, effectiveness as a shooter if you're able to just keep taking them at a higher volume and continue to drain them. And I just think that is so valuable on this team in particular with Giannis and Brooke Lopez, who are not the, the most inclined – or I shouldn't say inclined. Giannis loves shooting threes. They're not the most skilled at scoring from from the perimeter. It's huge to have a player who consistently over and over will take and knock down threes 
doesn't need a lot of time to uncork him. As you said, Jordan, he's an expert at he'll be running behind the arc and sidestepping and releasing. And it's just as scary as if, you know, a player, a normal player is set and ready to shoot, if not more so. So I just think the way he shoots, the volume he shoots, it's such a huge boon to the offense. And it's also, uh, I wasn't on the, the Dante emergency pod. I know you guys probably talked through a lot of this, but it's a big difference when you look at when, you know, you come up to court, you're seeing a corner tree from Dante, and it's like, mm, I guess that was the best shot in that possession. Or sometimes it's not. It's very different if Brin is going to really find himself in more of a, maybe not starting five, maybe not closing five, but kind of your best five a lot of the time in between that, which I think is very possible that he is neither of those things on either extreme. And that might prove to be the best. We'll see. Um, but if he's, if he's able to kind of perform as he has, it's, I mean, if, if Brent Forbes keeps this up and the books don't fall off in other ways, the books are probably going to win a championship. Like this is, uh, I'm not being bold about that. I don't feel like that's some sort of shock take. If you get a role player, your fifth guy on any time he's on the floor or a lot of the time he's on the floor who is going to perform in the way he's performing, you're, you're just not going to be beaten. It's, it's really that simple. Beating a team like that over seven games, we've seen it. We've been on the other side of it with these role players. And it's finally at a point where, you know, the books have one of those guys. Uh, they're, they're never going to have them again, but they have them right now. Uh, they're not going to have him next season, that's for uh, sure. We'll see. So they, if they have him next season, he'll be all they have. And that might be wise. We'll, we'll see how everything pans out. I'm just going to say Coach Bud, and then I'm going to hand it over to you, Ty. I'm just going to clear out, and I'm going to give Ty Windish the floor to talk about Bud. It's really impressive. Really impressive, man. Um, I had one last quick Forbes thing. I, I'm just going to say it. Go on, on, go on. Barely above his season three-point percentage in the series. 45% regular season, 48.5% in the playoffs. So, you know, the 0 for 3 in game one obviously drags it down. But even this game, it's kind of like the Bucks game two was. They weren't crazily above their three-point percentage. They just took a lot. I mean, 50% for Forbes is only 5% above his average. But I digress. Coach Bud, I think, just... Really impressive in everything from, you know, the the comments before and after games. I think the first quote I saw from him after this game for the sweep was, we need to keep up this level of execution. And actually, no, I think it was specifically about the new things the Bucks were able to do. And he said, we need to keep that up going forward. And that's what so matters. He said, it doesn't matter unless we keep yes, it up. It's it, even more is, definitive. Which is the perfect mentality that I think... Bud often just says nothing in, in quotes, which is an art, and I think he's good at that art. But I think this was a little bit more than nothing, and I appreciated it. But everything that we saw on the floor, I mean, you talk about Duncan Robinson was Miami's only source of offense in game one. He wasn't a source of offense for the rest of the series. The Bucks bottled him up games two through four. He got in foul trouble in game four. I don't know how much of an impact he would have anyway because Milwaukee just took away all his looks. I think, you know, offensively, you know, working inside out. I think my one of my big takeaways early in this game was like, if the shots aren't falling, you got to work inside out. You got to get inside to score, get those shooters going. Giannis starts working inside and drawing fouls, and, and the Bucks start getting to the rim. They start getting Lopez good looks against the zone right at the rim. Their PJ Tucker is cutting toward the rim, and then the threes opened up afterward. I just thought the approach to this game in this series was perfect. I think. 
you know, the zone, I don't think the Bucks were great against, but they were good enough against. They beat it enough to make Miami go away from it. And I just think, I mean, when you bottle up the other team's best two players for 90% of the series, I just thought everything was perfect. I mean, sticking to the drop as much as they did, but modifying it to work was like straddling the line perfectly between, you know, not switching just for the sake of switching, just because that's what people online have said you need to do. And, but not, you know, not seeing the drop hurt them the same way we did years past. I mean, I just think it was, it was masterful. There was a play in game three that I can't remember what point it was. It might have been like second quarter and Bucks were kind of like battling through it. It wasn't like, you know, uh, they were out to this crazy lead that didn't come until like the second half. But it was just like this little adjustment of like moving Tucker and Giannis from, I can't remember who, but it put it Giannis in an off-ball position. And it resulted in, like, Butler driving in the paint, seeing a crowd, dishing out to someone in the corner, probably Ariza or something like that. Yeah, it was it was Giannis was starting on Jimmy Butler, and Butler yeah. pointed out, and then P.J. Tucker physically threw him off of Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Took Butler himself. And then, yeah, Giannis breaks up the playoff ball, basically, in the end. Yeah, and I thought, like, that was, like, the perfect kind of snapshot of, like, Bud series, where, yes, we all have kind of our own uh, concerns with how Bud has operated in the past and all that stuff, and those won't ever go away until, you know, the Bucks probably have to win win a title and, you know, just have all those concerns go away. But I think in terms of this season, wanting to see things play differently, you know, just kind of be more flexible, play or operate to the game and how it and what's being presented to you, rather than having like this preconceived notion of how you want to play and, you know, play to the system and how the Bucks have played historically. Like, against Eric Spolster, of all people, who looked, you know, didn't really, outside of, inserting Dragic in, into the starting lineup in Game 3, it just felt like he, and granted, this is going to be more exaggerated when your best players, you know, are outscored by Bryn Forbes, of all people. But it just, it, it felt, the, the shoe was on the other foot, where you didn't look like you had a pulse on your roster on what you can, uh, you know, bring to the table. And, you know, Bud, Bud is always going to take a lot of heat, pardon the pun, for all of his past playoff mistakes and everything like that. But from what we saw this series, what was kind of what we keyed in on, I don't honestly, I don't think there's anything that he didn't do wrong this series. That he did wrong, you mean? You don't that he did, yeah, exactly. Yes, sorry. <laughs> I thought it was going to be quite a twist. At the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, I don't know when you say, like, I'm not saying it's going to go away or everyone's just going to buy in, but he has conquered the questions that have plagued him for his time with the books, but also back toward the end of his time with the Hawks. Like if the books lose to the Nets, they might just lose to the Nets because the Nets are really good or maybe a new issue rears its head. But that is a very different place to where we were like a week ago. It's amazing. All the time talks about it. It's Mm -hmm. just like one week and just like that. Oh, look, uh, Bud shows that really what they had been doing all season was working towards this. They were 
just as aware as everyone else of what had got wrong and how it needed to be changed, and they even more impressively actually managed to execute on that and pull it off. What I really like that you mentioned, Ty, is the books playing inside out. Because that is how Bud played his entire time in Atlanta. That is how the Spurs played with Tim Duncan there for his entire time in San Antonio. Like, his comfort in terms of on what his offense, I think, looks like in an idealized, you know, what's his offensive philosophy, comes from playing inside out. And there's a couple things that have made that tough with the Bucks. One, Brooke isn't much of a playmaker. But two, when you had Giannis way out on the perimeter and he was always the guy with the ball, you can't do that in the same way as when he's attacking and he's prepared for a while and he's now making the passes that he may not have made a year ago and certainly wasn't making a couple of years ago. So it's unlocking something which is much more, like, that's no coincidence that a performance like Bryn Forbes today and Bryn Forbes in Game 1, a guy who came through the Spurs system, like, that's Spursy basketball, like classic vintage mm-hmm. Spursy basketball. That's what Bud did there under Popovich, those teams. That's what he brought to the Hawks with such success is, you know, we're going to have just a couple of really good shooters in the corner, and they are going to kill you if you stop the main guys inside. That's yeah, and what I the, just the books are able to do now. I mean, just think about how it's not even – it's a non-event now when we see Giannis getting – the Giannis seeing an Ariza or somebody on him and goes to the elbow and gets set up in the post, and the Bucks execute an entry pass to him, and, and he operates from there. Like, that's what, like, that just really didn't happen in, in playoffs past, at least not very often. I mean, it was like Giannis at the top of the key, and, and something happens from there. But now all the time, it's like possession after possession. He's going to get set up in the post and execute from there. He's going to run a, a pick and roll and get moving and catch the ball in stride. I mean, I think Chris has gotten really comfortable throwing, like, those kind of around somebody's body scoop passes, and it's like, even if it's not in a great position for Giannis, like let me just get Giannis the ball in the middle of the floor, and then either somebody's collapsing to him or he's dunking. And and it's it happened over and over, and it worked. And I just think, you know, the way – I think Drew Holiday adds some inside-out kind of spice too because as good as he's been of a shooter, that's never what he looks to do first. He's always going to want to cut inside the defense and then either get to the rim, which we know he can do, or execute that pass back out to somebody else. And that's where – you know, the Forbes, the Portises, and now Middleton, who I think is getting better shots than he's ever used to getting. Those he's guys getting are just to be one eating, of the outside guys. That's which the is thing. perfect for him. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's actually, in some ways, like that element of it, in being someone who, you know, you could get a kick out pass here in the corner, that's like a throwback to the kind of looks he got in 2015. Yeah, like it's, it's 14, yeah. 15, Middleton. It's, it's a long time since Chris was able to have that because he's had to step up and do something else. And with him, I mean, we haven't talked about him here. We've talked about it plenty before and will again. He's getting a best of both worlds. He's actually getting the balance right that Mm -hmm. has been so well documented. It's always been the struggle for him is the balance of, you know, just when do I go and get mine? How can I fit into, I guess, a more uh, kind of modern offense in the NBA and what a role for a player like him should be? The balance is good. And, I mean, just the one thing to note on Bud, we won't unpack it now because it'll be one for the days ahead, but he's just totally outcoached. Eric Spolstra in a playoff series, and up next he's got Steve Nash. They play Tyler Johnson minutes with all the guards on that roster. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not. Tyler I'm Johnson. not going to go to like Nash is kind of an unknown quantity still for being kind. You can't commit to anything just yet, but I feel good 
I feel good on the coaching element of that. I mean, they do have like five former head coaches on their bench as well, so maybe that <laughs> factors in. And but they hey, got eight on the bench, on the players' bench too. Yeah. <laughs> that's also true. Uh, but I shouldn't be writing Boston off either. Yeah. Let's let's start rooting for the Celtics. Barry Parker revenge series coming up. <laughs> Jabari Parker might put 30 on Brooklyn the way they defend. It's hilarious to me that Steve Nash and, and Dan Tony were the guys brought in to be like the brain trust of the Nets coaching staff. Like, I don't think that team needs help on offense. I don't think they needed anyone to tell Harden, Durant, and Kyrie how to score. I think maybe get somebody who's really sound defense. I'm not sure they have someone, like you mentioned, they have a ton of former head coaches, but it's just funny to me that like Nash was the guy who was right to lead that group. Yeah, you probably just needed – there's very few figures you could get in who those three players would pay any attention or respect offensively when they draw up anything. Yeah. So I guess if Steve Nash and D'Antoni are there, you kind of go, yeah, okay, fair enough. You guys do know about offense. Maybe that helps a little bit. Any final thoughts on the series with the Heat? Jordan, you go. I don't, I don't know what my final thought is yet. I mean, as definitive of, of a performance – Playoff performance we've seen for the Bucks, considering the level opponent um, under Bud's time, and this is the team that trampled them last year. They built their team and made all these changes, both personnel-wise, internally, having adding more coaches, adding more flexibility in terms of what they're doing on the floor with the Heat in mind, and they embrace this matchup. And <laughs> they're on the other side of the of the door right now. Week week later from when the series began, like I don't, it's there's more work to be done, obviously, but like that in itself, I think, just kind of adds to what might be different this year than what we've seen from them in the past. It's the perfect start to, and obviously, like you mentioned, Jordan, a lot to go, but the perfect way I think to start a playoff run is not running from the boogeyman. They had the option to. We all know. We've covered it. They had totally could have punted that Heat game and probably drawn the Hawks or whoever, the Knicks. It would have been the Knicks. But they said, no, we don't care who we're playing. It doesn't matter. Unanimously voting, we want that team. And they, they showed why. Um, the one thing I'll, I'll say, the one when you when Jordan, when you said Bud did nothing wrong, it's slight. Didn't like Pat starting. We talked about it in the emergency pod. Didn't think it was a great fit just because the, the good Pat Connaughton game is great, but the average Pat Connaughton game is pretty quiet, and that's what we got in this game. Really hope we don't see that ever against Brooklyn. I think he's going to play some minutes. He kind of has to, but I don't think he should start. So that's the one thing. That's the, my one reservation. But I'm going to give Bud getting that right. I'm going to give Bud getting that right because you talked about his post-game quote. His pre-game quote was just as important where – he spoke about that not as just being there's going to be one guy. It's going to be matchup specific. They're going to yeah. kind of consider it game to game and take it. And that is absolutely the the approach to go with. I think there is a there is a place for Pat to start. I mean, we get so kind of tied up in knots about who starts, who finishes, who comes in. Like it's it's really about you know getting your most important player or the player with the hottest hand on the floor for the most time on in any given game. I mean, Pat played 22 minutes. He didn't play very well. I will say, second half, there was some Dante rebounding work. Like, yeah. it, it was just like having Dante out there, which is... Dragos didn't get to work as well as he did in the first half either. No, not at all. So, I, it doesn't look good, and I understand the concerns with it, and those concerns grow significantly against the Nets. 
It should be PJ, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I get yeah. it. I get it. I don't want to waste big four minutes also. That's the other thing. Where it's, yeah. it, it's closing is more important than starting, but I want more capable players out there with Chris Giannis. Because, I mean, first, I mean, part of Miami's run to start the game was just like, they were like, we're going to ignore Pat Connaughton. And, I mean, again, it's it's you're not going to kill a guy for missing four threes. You're not going to yeah, make and, them all. And that's it tough but, because yeah. he, he has been making them recently, yes. too. It's like yeah. Yeah. a couple of those could easily have gone down, and it's a different game for him. It's a different game for the Bucks from the start. Yeah. Look, I, I get it. I do think when it gets to the Nets, I think he is probably the wrong option because the right approach is to either say, okay, we've got to out-offense this team somehow, so we're going with Forbes, Forbes yeah. or we're going the other way and we're trying to stop something, we're going with PJ. Yeah. The, the middle ground doesn't seem like the choice. You've got to commit to one or the other, which is either we're going to try and slow them down a bit more or we're going to make sure that we can keep pace and we can fire with them. Yeah. And th- that's probably the way it will come down to. And I think even like when Bud made that comment earlier, he'd obviously decided who was starting in this game and possibly for the rest of this series, even if it had gone on, and yet he was still putting that caveat in there. So yeah. I don't think he's necessarily locking in Pat as a starter against the Nets. But we'll see how Agree. that unfolds. Agree. Uh, my, my final takeaway for the series is just this is a different books team. This is yeah. the best books team in our collective time covering the books. Mm. This, this is the best they've been. So whatever happens from here, like I think they have the best chance they've had Possibly since 1971, they also have the toughest road that they've had since, you know, they just kept falling in the 80s. Yeah, it's going to fall the 80s. Finding, yeah. often finding, you know, Sixers, Nets, or Celtics, which Celtics. they're the, <laughs> you know, that's the kind of combinations you're going to be looking at. So it's going to be a real throwback to those times. Hopefully, hopefully, um, books history doesn't repeat itself, though, and this time it's the books who come out the right side of that. Sure I, would be fun. Rohan isn't here, so you're going to have to land this ship. I know. It's good luck to us all. Um, thank you, dear listener, for taking in this episode of the Eurostep Podcast Network. This was a win-in-6 Eurostep collab, the two podcasts that call this little feed home. We'd like for you to call it home, too, so press subscribe on your podcast player of choice and go ahead and drop a rating and review on Apple or anywhere else that, that you can. Uh, I believe the the giveaway is still up, right? Adam, giveaway coming on, quickly here until June first. So we have a brand days. new logo. We're very very happy with it. It's great. And to mark the retirement of our old logo, the logo that most people probably have associated with us, we've got one last piece of piece of merch. There's one T-shirt. So we're going to be giving out to a very lucky listener to enter the competition. All you've got to do. Send us a screenshot of your rating and review of the Eurostep Podcast Network on your platform of choice. You send us a screenshot, you can get it on Twitter, either via tweet or DM, at winin6podcasts, that's numerical value six, and you'll be in the competition. So do that, enter that, but also just rate and review anyway, out of love, but also while you're doing so it. Now is, now is the time yeah, to do enter, it. Yeah, I mean, we're enter the we're not going to turn it down like... After June first, but now is definitely a good time. To do. Yeah, you I mean, get, get, get some more it. for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you scratch our back, we scratch yours. But follow all of us on Twitter at Ty Windish, at Jordan Trusky, at Adam McGee eleven. Follow Rohan too because he uh, he deserves a lot of credit. This outro thing is hard. At Arcadi Junior and at Eurostep Podcast at Winning Numeral Six Podcast. And I think that's all I've got. Everybody, thanks for listening. This was a tremendous sweep, a tremendous podcast. Go Bucks.